0: This podcast talks about sexual assault and may not be suitable for all listeners. For information or resources about sexual violence, go to www.rainn.org. There's been a tragedy
1: with Lauren. Call me immediately. And I was, like, just shocked out of my mind. And I just remember hoping, like, please let it be that she just broke her leg or something, like, anything. I have no idea what's going on. But it wasn't just a broken leg. In
0: 2015, Lauren Bajorek died during her semester abroad in Spain. Spanish police said her death was an accident. A study abroad adventure gone terribly wrong. A tragic consequence of one too many shots of vodka. One too many sips of sangria. You hear about these horrible stories in the news from time to time. A college student so intoxicated, they do something reckless. Like lean too far over a balcony railing, not realizing it's ten floors above the ground. But Lauren's death isn't that simple. And it certainly isn't where things end. I just never spoke about it again.
2: I had no idea that this had happened to anybody else.
3: Anyone can tell you that this is wrong, so like we had to report it. So I call the FBI. They take it from there. I wanted justice
0: for like the entire system. This isn't the story of one woman's death. This is the story of what one woman's death helps uncover. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Candace Mattel Kahn. This is Motive Season 2. Episode 1 Lauren Bajorek.
4: The CIEE Liberal Arts Program in Seville, Spain. It's the perfect choice for students who are willing to make the most
0: of their study abroad
4: experience.
0: It's a ritual that hundreds of thousands of American students participate in every year, a rite of passage even. It's the chance to experience a foreign culture, practice a new language, travel to other countries, meet lifelong friends, and party. For a lot of students, study abroad is a much-needed break from the rigor and stress of college. I barely remember taking classes when I studied abroad my junior year. What I do remember? Weekend adventures, late nights, feeling carefree and independent like I had really never felt before. I remember I never wanted to come home. Year after year, one of the most popular destinations for American study abroad students is Seville, a picturesque city in southern Spain known for its friendliness, beautiful climate, and historic architecture.
1: We toured the sort of main plaza there and went to go see all of the sites like the setas. We had a lot of fun walking through all the old streets and seeing the architecture, and we had some fruit on
0: the side of the road. Sarah Thompson and her friend Lauren Bajoric both ended up in Spain during the summer of 2015. They had been best friends since high school. We just
1: connected on a very deep level. We were almost sort of platonic soulmates. We
0: both really liked to joke around and we told each other everything. Sarah was spending the summer in Madrid. Lauren was living with a Spanish host family in Seville and taking classes through the Council on International Exchange, or CIEE. They run hundreds of study abroad programs around the world. Sarah and Lauren met up a bunch of times that summer to explore the country. They'd hit the tourist sites during the day and go out in the evening. We went
1: to this club that famously has like seven stories to it. And we danced. Lauren loved dancing. She loved music, and she loved the Spanish language, so Spanish music was just the greatest thing to her. And she pushed our way forward to the stage, and then somehow we ended up on the stage dancing then, too, for a few minutes, and confetti was falling down from the
0: ceilings. As the summer was winding down... Sarah and Lauren decided to take a trip together to the beach town of Lagos, Portugal.
1: It's just sort of a trip where you see some pretty scenery, and the cliffs that are surrounding this and the caves are just some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. You also go to Cabo de San Vicente, I think it was called, which is like the southwest tip, and it's called like the end of the world there. So when we were there, we took pictures at sunset at the end of this cliff, and... She then posted a profile picture later of us together and it said, best friends until the end, parentheses
0: of the world. They went through a Spanish tour company called Discover Excursions that specialized in taking big groups of American students to nearby countries. The company was popular among students who were eager to travel at a reasonable cost. And it was no secret, These trips were party-centric. The owner of the company, a 35-year-old local guy from Seville named Manuel, organized things like booze cruises and club nights. He had some sort of arrangement with
1: the club owner in Lagos, where all the girls got
0: free drinks there. But Sarah says the most memorable parts of the trip weren't the beaches or the clubs. It was spending time with one of her best friends.
1: We talked a lot about our futures together because the summer before your senior year of college is kind of a pivotal moment in your life and she was deciding what she was going to do after graduation and I was as well too. So we talked a lot about future plans. What do you remember her saying about
0: her future plans?
1: She was planning a future together with her boyfriend and possibly marriage down the line and would I be a bridesmaid in her
0: wedding a bridesmaid and her wedding. These are the kinds of conversations you have when you're 20 years old and feeling giddy and excited about what's ahead. When the trip was over, Sarah went back to Madrid. Lauren went back to finish her semester in Seville. A few weeks later, on the last day of her program, Lauren turned 21. The drinking age in Spain is 18, so having a 21st birthday there doesn't really feel the same as a 21st back in the States. Still, Lauren wanted to mark the occasion. Sarah couldn't make it to Seville to celebrate with her, but she remembers messaging Lauren the day before. I asked her what she was going to do for it. She said she was going to go out. Lauren did go out the night of her birthday with three of her study abroad friends. One of them, Ellie, walked me through that night. So I want to talk about the Saturday night, July 18th, Tell me a little bit about how that night started.
5: Okay, well, it was the last night that we could kind of go out as
0: a group. Although Ellie had only known Lauren for a few months, they had become close friends. Seriously, since the very first day, I was like really good friends with Lauren Bajoric. Ellie was immediately drawn to Lauren's sense of humor and how she always told you what was on her mind. So it was her birthday the next day, so of course we wanted to go out and celebrate.
5: It was a Saturday night. We didn't really have any plans the next day, so we were just going to have a fun
0: birthday celebration. The night started the way many nights out that semester started. First, they went to a 10.30 p.m. dinner, which sounds ridiculously late, but it's actually pretty normal in Spain. So after a leisurely meal and a drink or two, they decided to go bar hopping. I remember
5: buying Lauren a drink for her birthday, and we were at the bar ordering
0: drinks, and we looked over to the right, and there was Manu. Manu, short for Manuel, was the leader of the trip to Portugal that Lauren and Sarah had taken just a few weeks earlier. Ellie was on that same trip. Ellie says Manuel remembered the women immediately. He was like, what are you
5: guys doing? We're like, oh, we're celebrating Lauren's birthday, it's the end of our trip, like, we leave in two days, we want to have a good night. He was like, oh my gosh, that's so fun.
0: Like, I'll go out with you guys. Ellie says Manuel seemed really excited to see them. He wanted to help them celebrate. He said he could take them to some cool bars he knew in the city.
5: we were like, okay, yeah, great. One thing at that bar. (laughs) At one point, you know, Manu was kind of with his friends. I can't remember if he was with people, but I think he was. And I remember the four of us sitting at a table away from him. And I remember, like, clearly, Lauren Bajoric saying, like, he kind of, like, gives me a weird feeling. And we were all like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see it, whatever. But we didn't really think anything of it.
0: At some point around midnight, they decided to go to Belindo, a big club in Seville that's popular with American students. He said, I have VIP.
5: You know, we can get right in. We can skip the line. We won't have to worry about
0: it. Let's all go. And just as Manuel promised, they walked right in. We were led immediately into this, like,
5: kind of raised VIP section where there were drinks and, like, hookah that we were smoking. remember there being, I think he was a dancer or something. He had a Speedo on. Manu was like, oh, I'll get a picture of you guys with him. So we have a picture of the four of us with this guy in the Speedo.
0: Ellie thinks Manuel provided all of the drinks that night. She doesn't remember going up to a bar even once. Lauren's best friend, who was still in Madrid, says that after midnight, she messaged Lauren, happy birthday, she said, thanks. I
1: said, what are you up to? And then I fell asleep. She responded when I was asleep, just the word drunk. And then I responded back to her, like, haha, sounds fun or something.
0: Like, tell me about it. But Lauren never wrote back. Around 3.30 in the morning, Ellie went home with a friend. Lauren and another friend, Sarah Chamberlain, stayed at the club. Ellie got sick when she got home, then went to bed. The next morning, she woke up to frantic texts from Sarah Chamberlain's sister back in the U.S. And she was saying, Ellie, like, what happened
5: last night? And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, I don't know, like, Sarah was texting me, you know, all these things and, um... Here's some of the screenshots. So she sends me screenshots of the messages
0: with Sarah. In the messages that Ellie saw, Sarah Chamberlain said she's in an ambulance and she's being questioned by police. And she can't breathe. Ellie immediately tried to find out what had happened. She texted everyone, even Manuel. No responses from anyone. A few hours later, Ellie heard back from Sarah Chamberlain Herself. And she was like, um,
5: she said, hi. I was like, are you okay? Like, what happened? And she said, I don't know how to say this, but
0: Lauren's dead. Up next, what happened to Lauren and what her death helps reveal? The police made a written report of what happened the night Lauren died. A lot of it is based on what the only two witnesses, Sarah Chamberlain and Manuel Blanco Vela, told police. Here's a summary of the sequence of events leading up to Lauren's death, according to the report. Sarah Chamberlain and Lauren Bajorek, two study abroad students, and Manuel Blanco Vela, a 35-year-old Spanish trip leader for exchange students, All took a taxi from Belindo to Manuel's apartment sometime during the early hours of the morning on July 19th. Lauren and Sarah were both very drunk. Manuel was completely sober. It was a hot night. So when they got to his apartment, which was on the top floor of the building, they went outside onto the balcony, which had a guardrail surrounding it in all but one small section where it appeared to be missing. On the balcony was a table and chairs and a big plastic jacuzzi. Lauren took her clothes off and tried to get in. The jacuzzi was empty. And well and Sarah then went inside to get a glass of water for Lauren. But according to the report, Sarah also told police, outside of her formal witness statement, that they went inside to, quote, initiate foreplay. They left Lauren outside by herself for just a few seconds. Suddenly, they heard a loud noise. They rushed outside to see what happened. But Lauren wasn't there. Manuel leaned over the balcony railing and saw Lauren's body on the ground. Police say Lauren must have lost her balance and fallen involuntarily in the spot where the guardrail was missing. The time of death, according to police, was 4.54 a.m., July 19th, 2015. Lauren's 21st birthday. What was going through your head when you heard that? Um,
1: it's just sort of, like, the world stops.
0: Lauren's best friend, Sarah Thompson.
1: Like, when you're 21, like, nothing too bad has ever happened to you. Um, and... I don't know, I guess I just didn't have the greatest grasp of mortality at that age. And it was just, like... Time stopped and nothing else mattered anymore.
0: When Sarah Thompson learned the details of that night, that Lauren was completely intoxicated, that she was found dead in only her underwear, it just didn't make sense. What was Lauren even doing at Manuel's apartment to begin with? If you look at the police report, it's not clear. Manuel says they went to his apartment to have another drink. The police write that they believe Manuel intended to have sex with one of the women. As for Sarah Chamberlain, police note that she was so drunk at the time of questioning that it was, quote, very difficult to take her statement. I wondered, was Sarah Chamberlain ever brought in for additional questioning, maybe the next day, when she was sober? I cannot see you. Hold on but it's it. okay for me. I know, I can see you. It's n- nice to meet you. I... At our request, Carmen Ibanez Espinosa, a reporter in Seville, asked the investigating judge about this. In Spain, a judge conducts criminal investigations.
4: He said that it was not necessary because she was already questioned it by the police and she said everything she knew.
0: The judge also told Carmen that Sarah had already returned to the United States. If he questioned her again, That could delay the case, maybe up to two years.
4: They thought it was just a bad luck of an American student in Spain, and she had an accident because she was so drunk and, and no one's
0: fault. No one's fault that she was so drunk?
4: They didn't consider that issue because here she was not underage.
0: Carmen says she pressed the judge even further. Why were these two women at Manuel's apartment?
4: When I asked him to the judge about this, do you think that these two women were in, the, in Manuel's house by her own will? He didn't even want to consider that question because he said, you know, everyone is free to do what they want to do. And uh, it's your responsibility who you are with, who you go out with. And the judge pointed out to me that Manuel wanted to have sexual relationships with Sara, not with Lauren. What difference would that make? That's why I asked him, and he said, he didn't answer.
0: The investigating judge could have required further testimony from Sarah Chamberlain. He did not. Across the street from Manuel's apartment building, there's a small coffee shop. Carmen talked to the owner, Pilar. Pilar says Manuel came in to have breakfast just a few hours after Lauren died. She says she knew who he was because he always ordered the same tapas, Rabo de Toro, bull's tail. She remembers him coming in that morning. The impression I got was that he was calm and
5: relaxed, sitting at a table, eating, calm, relaxed. He was there all morning. I saw him a day he left in the afternoon around 12, 12.30. I saw him like a normal person, like nothing had happened, calm.
0: The autopsy concluded that the cause of Lauren's death was multiple traumatic injuries and destruction of all of her vital systems. The toxicology report says there were no narcotics or psychoactive substances in Lauren's body. But it doesn't list the specific panel of drugs that were tested. And when we asked the Spanish medical examiner which drugs they tested for, she said she couldn't comment on a specific case. So we don't know whether a drug was missed. The toxicology report did find high amounts of alcohol in Lauren's body, 0.29 grams per deciliter. That's more than three times the legal limit in the United States. A few months later, the investigating judge ruled Lauren's death an accident. And in October of 2016, Lauren's criminal case was officially closed. But Lauren's death doesn't close the case about Manuel. Good morning, everybody. I'm Megan Kelly. And we begin
5: today with a dream adventure that turned into a nightmare for a college woman.
0: Like many students her age, Gabrielle Vega... In April of 2018, nearly three years after Lauren's death, a 23-year-old woman who none of Lauren's friends had ever met appeared on the Megan Kelly Today Show to take her story public.
5: Gabrielle Vega was studying abroad in Spain in 2013, taking
0: classes during the week and traveling with friends on the weekends.
5: One trip was to Tangier, Morocco.
0: Do you remember where you were when you saw the Today Show segment? Yeah, so that was kind of... I remember her calling me. Lauren's friend Ellie remembers Sarah Chamberlain calling her one day. And even though Ellie says Sarah never wants to talk about Lauren's death, this time... It was unavoidable and she was kind of freaked out she was
5: like oh my god
0: she says the leader of her
5: tour was Manuel Blanco Vela he was very charismatic she sent me the link and I was like oh my gosh like that's crazy I started to feel really woozy
3: and not like myself and kind of like I was sort of losing control
5: Gabrielle says she fell
3: asleep. What is,
5: what is happening? Is there any doubt in your mind that he raped you?
0: I'm 100% know he raped me. Gabrielle Vega, on a national television program, was accusing her former tour guide of drugging and raping her on one of his trips in 2013. Ellie couldn't believe what she was seeing. Manuel Blanco Vela. Manu, it was the same tour guide whose balcony Lauren had fallen off of three years earlier. Ellie watched the entire segment. You know,
5: I was obviously, like, sickened. But that
0: was just the beginning. Hello? Hi, Gabrielle. Hi. When I spoke with Gabrielle, she told me she had been nervous about going on TV.
3: I was just kind of, like, happy that I was able to just get it over with and get that anxiety out of the way. I remember after taping, I didn't really think—I had no idea, like, what was about to happen.
0: So many of these stories start this way. One woman speaks up. And then...
3: I was just bombarded. My Facebook account was flooded with messages. People were requesting me to send me messages— My Instagram was blowing up. I created an email for girls who knew anything, and that received a ton of emails.
0: In the days following the Megyn Kelly segment, more than 30 women contacted Gabrielle and her lawyer. We talked to almost all of them. It wasn't until I found out about the other women, that's when my anger
2: kicked in. I was sent the link. The story. When I saw the TV show, at first it didn't show his face and they didn't say his name, and then they they did that and just kind of like all came
4: crashing down. And I thought, oh my God.
0: Each of them also had a story about Manuel. Some said he had forced himself on them, some said he made them touch his genitals, many said that he had made sexual comments or asked inappropriate questions. Others said they had been drugged by Manuel or said he sexually harassed them. Some said they were raped. So what does this all mean for Lauren? Did Manuel slip something into her drink the night she died? Could she have been sexually assaulted? What happened at Manuel's apartment in the minutes leading up to Lauren's death? Well. As I was looking into these questions, Sarah Chamberlain, the other woman who was at Manuel's apartment the night Lauren died, finally agreed to talk to me after a year of not responding to my messages. She was really reluctant. it's not something she ever talks about. It's really hard for me to like think about those times
2: because it's you know very sad memories um, and it's taken a toll on me. Um, It's always kind of been with me, and it's
0: very difficult to talk about. The only reason Sarah agreed to talk was because when I told her what was in the police report, she said there were things in there that were not accurate. And although she had been drinking that night, and it was a traumatic night, so it's hard for her to remember every last detail, she wanted to correct the record about a few things. One, Sarah says she never told police that she initiated foreplay with Manuel. I was not interested in anything sexually motivated
2: that evening. I don't know why that's in the police report. Um, It may have been me saying I thought he was going inside to initiate foreplay. I don't, I
0: didn't say that. (laughs) Sarah thinks police must have misunderstood her. She was giving her witness statement in a foreign language, and she'd just seen her friend's dead body on the ground. The second thing Sarah told me that's not in the police report is that Manuel stripped down to his underwear when they arrived at his apartment. I remember
2: feeling shocked and confused. It was something that was unexpected and didn't feel comfortable or safe. To be in somebody else's apartment and being responsible for this other girl, too, now, who was obviously intoxicated as well. I didn't want her to get
0: into a situation where she wasn't able to consent. Sarah wanted to get them out of there and go home. But Lauren fell before they were able to leave. And there's one more thing Sarah never told police. After Lauren fell, Sarah and Manuel were walking down the stairs. He said something to her. He said something to me like, you can't tell anybody or this is our secret.
2: I don't remember exactly the words he said, but it was like, it was a little haunting. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean we can't?
0: Sarah says Manuel put his clothes back on before police arrived. I asked her if Manuel sexually assaulted Lauren. She said no. It was clear from our conversation that Sarah was worried about what talking to me would make people think of her and Lauren. She was found undressed and
2: I don't want that to be her family's last memory of her. I just wanted to make sure that I protect myself, I protect her, um and you know, the fact that we were drinking. I, I don't think it was wrong for us to be drinking that night and for it to be misconstrued that we got so hammered that this happened and, you know, was it their fault or, like, whatever. Like, that's just, I don't I don't have time for that, frankly, and I just didn't want to have to keep explaining myself um, because I, I don't think I should
0: have to. I asked Sarah if she could describe how Lauren was behaving that night. She said she doesn't know what it was, but Lauren seemed to be acting really out of character. Here's what we know. The night Lauren died, she was so drunk she couldn't stand. She couldn't even walk by herself. And instead of making sure she got home safely, Manuel invited her and her friend back to his apartment in a residential neighborhood far away from the nightlife of Seville around four in the morning. When they arrived, Sarah says he started getting undressed. It wasn't what Sarah expected. It's not what she wanted.
2: That was not what our initial, my initial intentions were for the night. From my point, and I thought that was a collective understanding, it was we were just going back as acquaintances to hang out and then go home.
0: I can't ask Lauren what she thought was going to happen when she got in the taxi to go to Manuel's apartment. She's not here to tell us. But these other women, the ones who contacted Gabrielle, are... When I started working on this story, I found out by happenstance that one of my friends from college interned for Manuel's company, Discover Excursions, when she studied abroad years ago. I guess that's what's so frightening and disturbing about this kind of story. You can be so close to it and just not see it. My friend said she had spent significant time with him, told me she was friendly with him, and yet she knew nothing of these allegations. We reached out to Manuel. He declined to be interviewed, but he said all of the relationships he's had during his entire life have been with willing and consenting adults without exception. It's impossible to report on a story like this without acknowledging the moment we're living in, where allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment are being talked about publicly and in the news, regularly. But here's the thing about this one. This one doesn't involve a sports star, a famous politician, or a Hollywood director. Manuel doesn't have prominent connections or the kind of money to keep people quiet. He ran a local tour company. He doesn't have the type of power these men you hear about in the news do, and he didn't pay anyone off. And yet... I would come to learn his power to silence these women was just the same. Coming up this season on Motive. Women are finally coming forward to talk about something they never thought they'd ever have to talk about.
2: The next thing I remember was sitting in his car and him forcing me to do things with his intimate body parts that I did not want to. And I remember myself saying no. No.
0: And what life was like after.
3: I was suffering from PTSD and it was really bad. I couldn't shower, I couldn't sleep, I was terrified all the
0: time. So why was there silence for almost a decade?
3: Oh, you didn't say no. Well, you could have, and so that's not really rape.
0: And now that the silence is finally broken, but Manuel's never been charged, never been arrested, what's next? I have to follow this through
3: or else... I don't see how I could go through the rest of my life. He's not going to get away with this. I was not myself,
0: but I was motivated. If you have information about this story, you can email us at motive at wbez.org. And for information and resources about sexual violence, go to www.rainn.org. Motive is a production of WBEZ Chicago. The show is produced by me, Canis Mattel-Khan. The editor is Alexandra Solomon. Additional reporting in Spain by Carmen Ibanez Espinoza. The executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Our intern is Bea Medias. Thanks to Shelley Steffens and Colin McNulty for mixing. Translations by OVP Management Consulting Group. Thanks to the listeners whose financial support of WBEZ made this podcast possible please subscribe to Motive and leave us a review. It makes a big difference.